So, um, but we're going to be answering this question today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to answer the question, why the resurrection matters. Why would we ask and answer that question today? Well, today is Easter Sunday, which is another name that has been used for Resurrection Sunday. The reason Christians worship on Sunday is because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, he is the Lord. It's called the Lord's Day. And he's Lord of all creation, life and death, because he defeated it. He defeated death. He overcame it. He was raised from the dead. He lives today. Um, And uh, while every Sunday is a reminder of Resurrection Day, sometimes we can drift and it's a good reminder for us to make sure we, if we don't remember it any other day of the year, let's at least get it right on Easter. Okay? So that's, and so we're going to unpack that question, why it matters, but also why it matters today. Why it matters to you and me. Why it should matter, at least. And um, we're going to look at two witnesses that were there. Two people who were there right after it happened and can give us some clues as to what that was all about. And it's going to be two ladies with the same name. We baptized a Mary. We're going to talk about two other Marys today. Um, uh, there, pastor Nicky Gumbel, he's a pastor of a big church in England that uh, he does the, if you do the, one of the version Bible app uh, reading plans, the Bible, read the Bible through the year, he does that as well. He, told, he tells a story of one of his church members. They worked at the newspaper. I guess this was a while back. And uh, he said that um, in, in that, in that newspaper newsroom, they had filing cabinets with, and they were basically in two big categories. They had a file on every famous person that you can think of. And one, cabinet, one set of cabinets was people who were alive, living people, and the other was dead people. And he's thumbing through, doing some research for the dead people files, and he runs across Jesus Christ. And he looks around, and he pulls the file out, and he puts it in on the living people's side. I love that, though, because it's not just, it's not just something we say. When we say Jesus is alive, we mean that. We mean that he is alive never to die again. And when you start to let your mind and heart uh, embrace that reality, it changes everything. It changes everything. No doubt all of us have walked in here with a burden, maybe many burdens. We've come in here and we're, we're weighed down with things in life. And I could go down the list. The resurrection being true and real can impact all of those things for good. So I, I just hope you'll give me a few minutes to kind of show you why and how I think that plays out. Obviously, it's a conversation that could go on for a long time. But um, the book of Matthew and is written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, apostles, and he gives us some insight into how this happened, what happened that day, why does it matter. So... Um, yeah, let's, let's pray and, and dive in. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have access to your words. Your word is truth. And therefore, we can count on it, we can rely on it, we can believe it. Lord, that's hard today in a day when it feels like we don't know what's true anymore. When definitions are being rewritten and things are being called true that aren't and things that are aren't true or being called true. It's, it's really hard for us to sort out and not be cynical about things, whether it's politics or, or religion or life in general. And so, Lord, I just pray that today you'd help us sort some of that out. Because, Lord, I, I'm, I believe I'm not just praying a prayer out loud that just so people can hear. I believe I'm praying to you, 
that you hear my prayers and that as our people echo that prayer and say amen to that in their hearts and they agree with that prayer, Lord, I believe that, that you multiply the impact of this prayer and that there will be a resultant impact in the lives of the people in this room, people who are watching today and people who will watch in the future. I trust that you will do this great work. It's not something I can do. I can't persuade in a, in a way that really max matters in eternity, but you can. You can change a heart. You can change a mind. But Lord, not without, not, you will not do that and betray our free will at the same time. Somehow you sovereignly work and yet give us freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us by opening our eyes and opening our ears and, and re- opening the eyes of our heart to receive, believe, and, and live as if this were true. Help me um, shine a light on what you've already said and get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this so that I can kind of draw on the scriptures as I talk about them. And so, assuming the technology cooperates, we will... We will run with this. Okay, does that show up? Nope, not yet. Okay, well, if it shows up, we'll use it, and if it doesn't, that's fine. So um, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, we are on, in the scriptures, where it's Sunday morning. Hey, how convenient. It's Sunday morning. It's just about dawn. Hence, we have sunrise services at other churches because some of us don't get up that early. And we, uh, we are Sunday after Saturday when, like Ken said, Jesus has been in the tomb all day because on Friday he died on the cross. Okay? He was tortured, and then he had to carry part of that beam up Calvary's hill, and then he hung on a Roman cross he was nailed to for six hours. And the whole idea is hang there until you suffocate and die. That's the way it works. And he did die. And then he was wrapped in, in cloths, and there was a partial uh, process of preparing the mummifying the body, if you will, kind of wrapping it and piling spices and ointments and, and, and then carrying it to a tomb. And if you read just a few verses before, you'll see Joseph of Arimathea, which is a wealthy Jewish leader in the Jewish Sanhedrin, who was a secret follower of Jesus, had gone public basically and said, you can use my tomb for Jesus. And so... He, with the help of Mary and Mary and probably some others, carried the body there and got it into the tomb by sundown because sundown is when the Jewish day ends. Friday's over at sundown, Saturday begins, the day of rest. And the Sabbath day, day of rest, Saturday, the Jewish day of rest. And that no, no work can happen on that day. So they have to be done with that part and as done as they can be. And then they have to wait until Sunday so they can get back to work. To, they're going to continue to anoint the body. So... So he's buried, literally, in a tomb, not underground like we do it, but in a, in a hole carved in this limestone rock of this mountain, wherever these graves were, which wasn't too far away. And that's just the way they did it. And they would, there's, there's all kinds of pictures of this, but you, basically they, they dig out a chamber and they create a bench. And then eventually they create more of a room and there's shelves and they lay bodies on shelves. And if you have a family tomb, you just keep adding to it until it's full. So this is a brand new tomb. There's no other body in it. <laughs> Nobody's there. <laughs> and so he gets to go first. They take him in, and, they, and it's probably not dug very far back, and they lay him on the bench. And they close this massive rock in front of it. If you, again, if you read this few verses before, you'll find that the religious leaders were afraid that Jesus was actually going to do what he said he was going to do, which was, I'm going to be killed by the religious leaders, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. 
And he says this in, in Matthew 16, 21. He says it in Matthew 17, uh, 17, 22. He says it in 2019, 26, 32. He says it a lot. And it's just so funny to me, I don't know if funny is the right word, that the ones who remember it are the religious leaders who don't believe it. And the disciples apparently didn't believe it because they didn't even remember it at this point. They have to be reminded later, and the angel will give them a little help too. Um, so I found that uh, kind of humorous. But Mary Magdalene and Mary, called the other Mary, is there. And uh, you want to be remembered, yes, we're going to remember you. You're going to be written in scripture. You're going to be called the other Mary. Mary who? They think it's Mary, mother, the mother of James the Lesser. And I know you're like, who's James the Lesser? One of the 12, but we'll keep going. Um, and so they are the last ones to see the tomb close Friday night. That's Mary, other Mary, Josephus, not Josephus, I, I meant Joseph of Arimathea. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, and then they left. I don't know who else was with them, but that's who's listed in Scripture. And then they come back early next morning. And this is the way it starts. That's where it starts. So here in verse 1, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene, she was a woman that had seven, de- you talk about demon possession, she was possessed by seven demons, and the stories in earlier in Scripture where Jesus cast them out. So she's pretty grateful. She's there following Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There were, now, they're going to um, add spices and, 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 and on the ointments and whatever they use to prepare the body for finishing the prepare, preparation for burial. Okay? And then, um, and then it says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. So angels, um, they do the bidding of God, okay? Angel means messenger. So usually whatever they do, there's a message attached. They've got something to say on behalf of God, all right? So this angel comes and rolls the stone back, sits on top, and is just kind of killing time until the ladies show up because he's got something to tell them. And here he, here he goes. We get to ready to see that. And that's what caused the violent earthquake, I guess, a combination of rolling the rock and, I don't know, maybe these angels like to be dramatic. I, have them, I just don't know. They rolled back the stone. He sat on it. Now, verse 3 says, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, what guards are we talking about? Remember, the religious leaders went to Pilate and said, we're afraid he's gonna, that his disciples are going to steal his body. Then they're going to say, see, he rose from the dead. We should worship him. And they're going to say, this deception is going to be worse than the original deception and, and all that. And so Pilate's like, go make it as secure as you want. And so either they use temple guards that would have worked around the temple, so Jewish guards, or more likely they used some of Pilate's Roman soldiers, probably about a dozen. And um, they're probably thinking, great, we're going to go guard a tomb. <laughs> what can happen? <laughs> Twelve of us. And so they go and they guard the tomb that night. Well, things happened, okay? And it says the guards were so afraid. Why? Because an angel shows up, first of all. Angels are terrifying. Whenever you see angels in the Bible show up, people hit the ground and they're sharks trembling and they're just terrified because they're like, we've seen God and we're going to die. Because if you see God, it's not going to end well, usually. At least that's the way that, that things were always understood in those days. So the angel says, obviously, don't be afraid. That's kind of one of the things he says to make sure that people don't, don't, uh, aren't afraid. So, so he's bright white light. I mean, he's probably so bright you can't look at him, but enough to know there's, a, there's somebody there, and they are amazing in power, amazing in holiness, and bright, bright white. The guards were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. Fainted? 
They become irrelevant in the story because they are out. I don't know if they're in shock. I don't know if they fainted, but they're like dead men. So that means they are not able to do anything. Verse 5. Now it starts to get uh, down to the nitty-gritty. The angel said to the women, before I read that, this is why women and why is this this surprising? In this day, it was a male-dominant culture as almost every culture in the history of the world has been. But in Jewish culture, women were considered so second level or third or however you want to put them that they couldn't even be an eyewitness in a court case, even if they were the only ones there. Their testimony was considered not, ex- not admissible. Okay? So, first of all, if you're making this up, you're not going to pick ladies to be the witnesses, right? Because who's going to believe them? The only reason you would write this is if this is actually what happened. There's no other reason, no earthly reason. It's what happened. I think God is making a statement. I think he's doing what Jesus did all his life, and that's elevate women and, and say, I made them male and female, all right? So um, I wasn't, you know, like, oh, I messed up on guys. Let me try to do better. It wasn't that. And it also wasn't they're better and they're not quite, you know. It, I made them all in the image of God, male and female, created them, Okay? This is what the angel says to the women. So they witnessed this. We're getting their testimony. They were there. They don't just believe this happened. They were there. Okay? Don't be afraid, the angel says to them. So he senses the tension in the air, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Now, full stop. If you get caught by an angel, don't you want the angel catching you looking for Jesus? I mean, isn't this the greatest, right? I know that you're looking for Jesus. Okay, that's good. Who was crucified? Oh yeah, two days ago. That was awful. Um, And so we have that angel just saying, yes, he was crucified, which indicates he did die. In case you think he passed out somehow, survived torture that was meant to bring him within a breadth of his life, then make him carry his cross up the hill, hundreds of yards. He couldn't even finish that. And then nail him to the cross, not with little tiny nails, but with nine-inch spikes, through his hands, through his feet, and then he hangs for six hours, like I said, until he uh, suffocates. If you think for some reason after three days he could be revived from that, I, I don't know what to say to you. He was crucified, dead, on the, thir- on the first day. On the second day, he lay dead in the tomb. On the third day, he rose. He is not here. Okay? Now, they don't know this. They haven't gone in the tomb. He says he's not here. He has risen. And they would have understood that meant he's ridden fr- risen from the dead, risen from the grave. He is alive, just as he said. All right, let me just give you one of those examples. So, on um, 16... Uh, I won't be able to show you this on the screen, but 1621, I just want to read you one of these. He says, from that time on, Matthew writes, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that's where they are, and suffer many things, that's what he did on Friday, at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, yeah, the quote, good guys, unquote, and that, mu- and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised life. He's telling the disciples ahead of time, this is going to happen. They don't remember. I wouldn't have remembered. I don't want to be hard on them. It, if they don't remember that, why would they try to perpetuate a hoax? There's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't, but anyway, I don't want to take that time. He, was, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Okay? So these are prophecies that were 
And, and if you know somebody that predicted their death and predicted their resurrection, probably worth following. Yeah, probably get your attention. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see. Okay, this is one of our two takeaways today. Come and see. Our takeaway today is come and see what Jesus did. If when we come and see what Jesus has done, we will go and tell the world why he has come. Okay? Come, when we come and see what Jesus has done, we will go and tell the world what he has done. That's our takeaway for today. Come and see the place where he lay. So the, the angel doesn't say, take my word for it. He says, come on, let's look. And they go in the tomb, and we know from, um, so we have the other accounts of the resurrection. We have Mark, Luke, and John also have their versions of, of this. And everybody tells it from a little bit different angle, and you get a little bit different details in the process. But basically what we know is that he finds, when they go in, they see on the bench... There's no body there, but there is the, the, the fabric he was wrapped in. The fabric's not torn away. It's not torn apart. It's like he evaporated and, just, and it just collapsed, kind of like someone let the air out of the tires. And his headpiece is folded neatly and left at the top. Now, if, whether you're enemies or friends, if somebody's going to steal the body, they're not going to unwrap it. It's a corpse. It's a rotting corpse if it's still there. You're not going to handle that. You're going to go, let's leave it wrapped. <laughs> I mean, it might, you know, fall apart on the way. You're not going to, right? And then if you did, in some crazy, for some crazy reason, you wouldn't leave it like, how would you get the body out and it's still in one piece? And yeah, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up at all. So the whole stealing thing. Whether, and, and if the enemies did steal his body, by the way, why wouldn't they just produce it and get rid of the, uh, the claim? Right, no. And then why would the disciples die for the lie? Why would they die and try to convince everybody he'd risen when he hadn't? All right, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Okay? He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Now, Judea, if Judea is here, Galilee is kind of north of that. And Samaria is kind of over here, okay? So... Um, they would have gone north. And this is where Nazareth was, which is where Jesus grew up. Okay? This is, um, Judea is around Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all those super holy cities. And then you get to Galilee, you're kind of moving out of town a little bit. They're into that different region. Still a Judean region overall. Okay? Then go quickly. Tell his disciples he's risen. He's going there ahead of you. Into, there you will see him. Now I have told you. It's almost like the, the angel's like, Finish that. What's for lunch? You know, he's done. He's, he's finished his job. He's been his messenger. So now let's look at verse 8. And let's see what the women actually do. And this is what I want you to see is that when we experience what they experience, even though it might be distanced, we will respond as they respond. Okay? Now, we're not going to be eyewitnesses of this, right? We're not. But we are reading things written by people who were there. Okay, written and shared and written and shared so that we have over 25,000 different partial or complete fragment or parchments of New Testament scripture. No other ancient document comes anywhere close to the number. And they all basically say the same thing. But that's not our point today. So the women hurried away from the tomb. Okay. Afraid yet filled with joy. Okay, you kind of go, afraid but filled with joy. How, how, if you ever, 
Sure you have. Right? I was going to say the kids getting ready to get baptized were kind of both. They were excited and they were nervous, okay? Uh, if you've ever gotten married, yes, terror is part of that joy. That's right. Um, they were both afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples why. Because they were convinced that what they saw was real and that Jesus had risen, and they had good news to share. Because everybody else is in, you know, grief city. They're all grieving and, and, and just depressed. Gosh, we thought we had this. We thought this was, oh, their hearts are broken. And they're going to they're gonna change that because the message is that's not the end. It doesn't end there. Suddenly, Jesus met them. I kind of get the impression they kind of bumped into him, maybe even, I don't know. Greetings, it's kind of like, what's up? I don't, you know, it seems kind of casual, kind of friendly, kind of playful almost. It's like, he's kind of chuckling going, well, they're kind of excited. This is great. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. So, They're like wrapped around his feet. Because that's what you do when you're in the presence of divinity. And they worship him. Because they believe. They believe he was dead because we saw him die on that cross. We saw him crucified in the most cruel way you can execute somebody. We saw him tortured before the crucifixion. We saw him strained to carry this piece of cross on his back up the road from up the road to Calvary, the rock, the hill that he died on. And I'm looking at him in his face, and he is alive. He is physically alive. I'm touching him. He is in a body. He is not a ghost. He is real. And they are moved to worship, as they should be. We see the humanity of Jesus and that he has a body, and we see the divinity of Jesus and that he defeated death. Now, if anybody can defeat death, it would be the one who created life. Would it not? It's appropriate that Jesus would defeat death. Okay? So this this is important for us. Now, he is in a resurrected body, and we don't have much time to go down this trail other than to say this. God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, it says in Revelation. He's going to replace. Okay, he's going to make a new Zion, which is Jerusalem. So he's going to make a new heavenly city, and he's going to give us new bodies, okay? And most of us are probably glad about that because that means no more pain, no more dieting, right? It's just like, okay, yes, and I'm hoping it's going to be, you know, just everything I could hope for and more. And it will be. Well, he's in that new body, okay? Then Jesus said to them, because he senses the fear, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, which he says all through Scripture, I think it's 365 times, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. He repeats what the angel said. There they will see me, okay? He keeps talking about there they will see me. He says it here. There you will see me, okay? So here we have the, the main points. Come and see, then go and tell, okay? And then he says, go and tell. Okay? 
So the, the application's pretty simple. It's that we are to, to go and tell others about what we have seen and heard or read or understood or believed. But it starts with experiencing face-to-face who God is and what he's done. Okay? Now, I make it sound simple because I'm trying not to complicate this. But I realize that there, is, there can be a huge gap between this step and the next step. If you're trying to walk across a stream and you're jumping from rock to rock to rock, that works if the rocks are within a couple of feet of each other. But when the rocks are 30 feet apart, we're going to go swimming or we're going to just not jump. <laughs> or we're going to wade or swim or whatever. And, and the, there is a leap that needs to be made that crosses the line of faith, okay? It is not blind faith that God calls you and I to. It is a reasonable faith. It is a faith based on scripture, archaeology, reliable history, not just biblical history, but even by history by the Romans and the Jews who had nothing to gain by making those things clear. Uh, prophecy, lots of prophecy that told about this way ahead of time. Uh, science is not, has no problem with the Bible, okay? And the Bible has no problem with science. So science, and, and then there's personal experience that people have experienced that can say for 2,000 years, people have been saying, he's changed my life, and people have seen evidence of that. So there, there's, it's not a blind faith that we just take this blind leap, and you know, that's, that's I, I would not encourage anybody to do that. But I also won't stand here and tell you, I can prove beyond a shadow of doubt to your complete satisfaction that God is real and that he is all that he claims to be. Because God didn't make it possible for me to do that. He set it up to be a step of faith. He provides the faith. He draws us and calls us. But he does not force us. He leaves it in your hands. We have responsibility for how we respond to what we have seen and heard. Okay? And so I share this to say there's a lot of good reasons why you and I should trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? God came down as his son. He sent his one and only son, the son of God. He became the son of man. He walked and lived on this life, and he lived the life that we couldn't live. Tempted though we were, are, yet he did not sin. Then he died in our place, and the reason his sacrifice was acceptable in God's eyes is because he hadn't sinned, and yet he was human. No other human could ever make that claim, so no other human qualified to die for our sins. This is why that matters. And so uh, he dies for the sins of the world, which means that God can wipe away the sins and forgive us, assuming we want that. And the way you and I communicate that we want that to him is we tell him we want that. We tell him, I believe that you made it possible for me to be forgiven. And that the way you chose to make it possible is that you sent Jesus to die for me on the cross in my place. And so I'm going to believe and embrace that truth as a reality for me. This isn't postmodern, it's good for me, but if something else is good for you. Truth is truth. And, and if God has revealed himself, and this is what we have, then that's, that's how he's revealed himself to, to us. And whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. It's, it's true. He claims it. You have to, you have to explain a lot of things away for it to not be true. When we come and see 
what Jesus has done, we will go and tell the world why he has come. Why does the resurrection matter? Because it doesn't just affect my hereafter, which it does. It affects my here and now. It affects my job. It affects my marriage. It affects my future marriage, life. It affects my financial decisions. It affects my health. It affects my mental health. It affects how I deal with my health when it's not what it needs to be or what I want it to be. It affects how I deal with disappointment. It affects, I mean, right, there's a long list of things that we all came in with today. And every single one of those, when submitted to Christ in belief that he's made it so that this is not the end, can be made better. Doesn't mean that God just wipes away your circumstances. Doesn't mean that those circumstances aren't still painful and real. They are. I'm not minimizing them. I'm helping you see them in perspective with what is really big and true. Right? If you, if you live a really healthy life and you live to be 90, okay, eternity follows, and we all live for forever somewhere. Do you want to be living forever somewhere in the presence of God, your creator? Do you want to be in his presence? Do you want to believe that he created you and that you have a relationship with him so that that eternity is better than even here and now? Because it's supposed to be better. When you remove sin and suffering from this world, it would get a lot better, and that's just beginning but he is not it's not an automatic you're created therefore you get to go to heaven that's the bible does not teach that i know people teach that i know churches teach that so-called but the bible teaches that while it's available it's not automatic and yet you have a responsibility in that whether it is becomes yours or not if i hand you a gift I pull it out from under the Christmas tree and I hand you the gift. It's got a tag with your name on it. I've done what I can do. I've given you the gift, but it's not yours until you choose to and, op- and follow through and open the gift. Then you've received the gift. Just hold the gift wrapped is not to receive the gift. And some of you are holding it like this. Some of you have set it down. And I'm just saying, open the gift. It's for you. It's got your name on it. Jesus died and paid for it if you would receive and believe. I just wanted to be straight with you today. I feel like Easter, if we're going to be straight, that's the day to do it, right? And talk about what's real. Now, if you really want to make some noise and you don't believe, you prove, disprove the resurrection. I'm going to tell you, there's the, there's the ace of spades. If you can disprove the resurrection, you can make Christianity irrelevant. But get in line, because a lot of people have tried. They just haven't succeeded yet. In fact, some of them have become some of his most devoted followers. We're going to um, pray in a minute. And when we pray, we'll have another song and, and we'll give you a chance to respond. I want to explain why this is here. So this is a loaf of bread. It doesn't matter what kind of bread it is. It's just, it's just symbolic, okay? Jesus said, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, he's talking about, this is my body broken for you and he did this in front of his disciples that night before he was betrayed the night he was betrayed he he broke when Jesus talks about his body in scripture he also talks about the body of Christ 
he says that this is symbolic not only of Jesus' life when he was here in his body, but that now that he's gone, the body of Christ is the people of God, unity, unified in Jesus Christ, okay? It's not church members, it's not certain denominations, it's not, you know, it's just people who trust and follow and walk in Jesus' footsteps. They are part of this body. And so what he wants us to be like is this loaf of bread. He wants us to be unified in him. Okay? Even though that sometimes requires us to be willing to be broken for him. Okay? And so uh, he says this, and this is a picture of the cross, the breaking of the bread. And we're not going to pass this around because you don't want everybody's fingers all over your bread. What we're going to do is we've got baskets. I don't know if we have, yep, there's a table over there and there's a table over there. And there's baskets with cut up bread and people with gloves and little cups of grape juice. The bread represents the body of Christ that was tortured, broken for us. We're to remember that. That's why you see crosses in churches. It's not because we worship the cross. It's because we worship the one who gave his life there. Okay? And the juice, the grape juice represents his blood. He wasn't just beat up. He wasn't just tortured. He wasn't just nailed to the cross. He died. And that is the representative of his blood shed for us. This is why we sing songs like nothing but the blood of Jesus can save me from my sins. I know it sounds kind of strange. But when you have received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, you realize if he didn't die for me, then I'm going to die for me. And I don't want to die for my sins even though I deserve it. And so I'll sing about his blood all day because I'm freed because of that blood. I can't do it. He did it. That's why it's available to me. And none of us deserve it. It's available to all. So we're going to come, and if you want to participate, and you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to participate, even if you become a follower of Jesus today. You trust, if you pray when we pray and you say, I want to receive him, you become a follower of Jesus, then you just step right up and you can come right through and, and take a little piece of bread and, and juice and go back to your seat and you just pray. And you just say, God, forgive me for fill in the blank. Take and eat and drink and remember the price that was paid. That's what we're doing. That's all we're doing. It's symbolic. It's not magic, but it's powerful. Okay. Some of you watched this baptism happen and some of you say, some of you said to yourself, I need to do that. And you don't even know necessarily how it works or why. That's fine. If you want to talk to somebody, I'll be standing over here today instead of over here. I'll be standing over here. Come talk to me or Ken or whoever you can find and just say, hey, I have questions. Go ask those questions. All right? If you want to get baptized next week, we'll just leave it up. Okay? We'll change the water though. All right? Uh, we, we just want to be here to serve you, um, and the best way we can serve you is point you to Jesus, okay? Because no matter what you're going through, he is the answer. He is the only answer that works, okay? Surrender. We don't like that word, do we? Americans cringe with surrender, not so much. Didn't we win those? Yeah, we don't like to surrender. Surrender. If I sang the hymn, I surrender some, you would cringe, not just because I was singing it either. Because that's really not surrender, is it? Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, as, as we um, can come to f- worship this last part of this service together through song, we also want to pray.
We want to come to you right now and acknowledge that you are God and we are not. That you created us and we're the creation and therefore you know a lot more than we do. You're a lot more powerful than we are. And you're holy, holy, holy. And because of that and the fact that we have sinned, we know we're not holy. And that separates us from you. And the only way that that division can be removed, that barrier of, that sin creates, is if you come across it and rescue us. You did that on the cross. You came across that barrier and you rescued us. You reached out a hand of rescue, a hand of salvation. And even now, your hand is outstretched and ready for us to put our hand in your hand to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, as our Lord and Savior, as our Master, the one we surrender to. But you don't make us grab your hand. You don't grab our hand. You hold out your hand and wait for us to receive it. And so, Lord, I pray that even now, in minds and hearts, um, people watching, listening, in the room, would reach out. I don't care if they've done it before or not. We all need to reach out and let you grasp our hand. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are doing it for the first time. Maybe they, don't, maybe they would say, I don't understand what all this means, but I believe I need to do this. It's, I pray you'll help them do it. That you'll help them do that which you are leading them to do with a heart to follow through. Not just to say it with your mouth, but to believe it in your heart. Both. Because you tell us if we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And so, Lord, this is a work that you do in us. We cannot do this apart from you. We cannot coerce you to do it. We cannot make you do it. You choose to rescue us. And we either respond and lean into that or don't. And I pray that you would give us the courage to do that but the freedom to say no. Thank you for that. And uh, Lord, as we, as we sing, I pray that you'll continue to speak to our hearts and minds. If there's somebody we need to pray with, that you'll help us find them and, and pray with them even now. We thank you, Lord, for your comfort today. We thank you for your encouragement today. We thank you for strengthening us today. Lord, may we believe that you're not done with us and that it doesn't end when we walk out these doors. You're always there. May we believe that you've risen from the grave and that we can too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.